So we're getting started. This is Lee. And this is Amaya. And you are listening to Femme South. Are you excited, Amaya? <laughs> are you excited about our first podcast, Amaya? <laughs> <laughs> when you talk like that, yes, Lee. You're, you're, you're pumping me up. Uh, that's what I'm trying to do here. <laughs> For our listeners, we should probably just do a quick overview about, you know, what our podcast is, right? So uh, this is a feminist podcast, so we're going to be talking about feminism and women's issues and women's work, but also we are doing this podcast as an extension of our feminist book club that we have started here in the South, and, um, and our feminist book club reads feminist theory, but also works written by great feminist writers, and um, yeah, so... We have really great discussions, and as we were having all these really great discussions, it just kind of occurred to us, hey, we should be recording these discussions. And so that's kind of how this podcast came about, is that idea of recording our discussions. Unfortunately, a lot of the people in our book club didn't want to be recorded, so what we've ended up doing instead is just sort of taking a recap of what we talked about and looking, just Amaya and I, and looking at um, all the issues that came up during the book discussion. So that's the first part of the podcast. The second half of the podcast is where we find someone to interview um, that's involved in some way with one or several of the issues that have come up during the book club discussion. So every podcast, besides this very first one, is going to be a two-part podcast. First part, book discussion. Second part, interview with somebody really cool. Thank you, Lee. You said it all. As you can tell, this is Lee's baby. I'm here supporting Lee, happily supporting Lee. I, oh, this is a, this is a, <laughs> a mutual baby partnership. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever the case, we're having a baby. <laughs> yeah, we're raising this baby together, Amaya. You keep trying to get out of that responsibility, but we're raising this baby together. <laughs> So I guess we can start with just trying to answer why we're doing this podcast in the first place, because I think that's a great starting point. So why are we doing this podcast, Amaya? Well, I know why I'm doing it. Okay, maybe you can go ahead and (laughs) speak first. Why are you doing this podcast? Well, it's obvious there's a huge need for this right now. Given the strength of the Me Too movement and what's happening politically, economically, socially, we need this. We need this work. Personally, it's really clear in my life for my purpose that I am to be on the front line of healing the masculine and the feminine. And looking at sexuality, how do we heal sexuality? 
So for me and my work in the world, this is fundamental to help empower and educate women, first and foremost. What is our past? What's our history? What's our shared experience? And to really bring it into the light and talk about it. This kind of education doesn't really exist in schools. We don't talk about it much. And so having a book club and then opening up the conversation in the community about how these concepts, these theories are lived day to day is, is fundamental for healing the feminine and really healing the masculine. Right, because you can't have one without the other, the yin and the yang. They both need to come into balance. Well, I don't know if I can top that. <laughs> um, well, for me personally, Amaya, it's just an extension of a part of the work that I do as well. I'm an English teacher. I teach English and literature to college students. And, um, and I just see a, a vacancy in... Most of my students' education, especially my uh, female students, they really, in the area that we live in, it, they really don't have an awareness of feminist theory. They don't really have the language to talk about feminism, or maybe they're not even thinking about it. And they certainly don't have a, a broad view or a, a, even a superficial understanding of how feminism fits into our history, women's history. And so I feel like I feel called to fill that gap, to bring exposure to people in this area. And maybe we should kind of say a little bit about the area that we're in. You know, we're called Fem South, but we are in the deep south, the Gulf Coast of Alabama. So almost as far south as you can go without getting into Florida. And we're in a small community here. We're in a um, a really cute little town that's sort of a bubble. And around the town is a lot of rural communities. So for me, I think a lot of my students come from the outskirts in these, from these rural communities and suburbs, and they just don't have a lot of exposure. I grew up here and I didn't have a lot of exposure. I did. I had to leave, had to leave Alabama. I had to leave the South. I had to go to college and to really get exposure and understand, you know, what women's work really even means, what feminism really even means. And as soon as I did discover that, I realized that so much had been missing from my life, from my childhood experiences, from my understanding of myself, my understanding of my relationships with my mother, my relationships with my partners, just sort of all around, you know? So yeah, that's kind of why I'm doing this. Was there a moment, like a turning point, an aha moment where you woke up and realized that you were a woman, that there was inequalities, oppression, and that something needed to be done. Do you remember the age or the time when? That's a good question, Amaya. <laughs> I don't know how to answer that question because I don't know if I remember a moment. I just know that um, I've always felt like I, that my relationships with other people, with men, 
have always had this sort of underlying sense of what I wanted in the relationship, what I wanted for myself, but I just could never get there because uh, I didn't have the language for it. I didn't have the support for it, the validation for it. All I had was my partner making me feel like something was wrong with me or resisting what it, whatever it was that I was trying to say. And I didn't have a mother also growing up that knew the word feminism or well, never spoke it. And so a lot of the um, education that I received as a growing young woman was also, I think, um, void of any of this, of the information that I now, you know, know and the language that I now use and speak in what we're doing now in women's studies and in feminism. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting because you know, I look back at my life and my connection to the South, and I, I was raised in California, but my mother was from this area, and I would spend summers as a child in Alabama. And I always had a really hard time because my brother, for example, would be able to go out and sit on the tractor and mow the lawn with my granddad. And I would have to be inside cleaning the kitchen with my grandmother. And I fought that. It wasn't fair. Why does my brother get to have all the fun and I have to be inside doing the dishes? <laughs> right? I mean, this is such a, a small example of a much larger problem. But um, I was removed from um, the Southern mentality for most of the year until summertime. Um, my mother was a feminist, and she was the breadwinner in the family. And I was raised in a way that I felt like there was no difference between me and my male counterparts, you know? Like, I, in high school and in elementary school, I was always student body president and valedictorian, and I was in charge, and you came to me to, you know, for the decisions. And I carried that with me into college, but something started to shift as I got into the workforce, and I realized that my efforts weren't valued in the same way as the men I was working with, and by the men I was working for. And that was really hard for me. And then when I dropped everything and I went to Thailand to become a yoga teacher, hmm. I was asked to assist in a, in a yoga training after my first training. And I came back and realized, oh my gosh, there are only women students, basically, there's one token student, male student, one token male student, one male teacher, and two female assistants. And neither of the female assistants were getting paid any money. They spent a whole month assisting in a yoga teacher training, didn't get their flights paid for, didn't get their room or food paid for, and didn't get any compensation for their work. And after three weeks of doing that, all of a sudden, I woke up and I thought, something's wrong here. And this is, of course, after a history of other 
you know, incidences with males abusing power, but that kind of just went over my head. But at this moment, I woke up and I was about 30. And for the first time, I cried for the goddess. For the first time ever, I felt deeply the inequalities between the masculine and the feminine. And I cried for the loss of the goddess. And I remember calling my mother from Thailand and saying, how have you been able to do this? I didn't know. I didn't see it. It wasn't in my consciousness until that moment. And since then, I've been getting involved in women's work and going really deep in my own inner work and my personal healing. And, and now, of course, it's so apparent. And now, of course, you know, I see clearly <laughs> the work that needs to be done and bringing women together to support that. So I have to remember that this isn't in the full consciousness for everyone. Right. You know, and depending on where we are raised, for example, the South versus the West, we had a different upbringing. Right. And I think that's clear in a lot of the, um, the language that you bring into, you know, our group discussions. It's clear in a lot of the ideas and the kind of work that you're working towards, just even your paradigm of doing women's work and stepping outside of the college track that one might have or that one might be on. And I mean, even speaking for myself, I mean, my track has always been very narrow in the sense that I felt like, okay, I have to go, you know, get my bachelor's degree, master's degree, PhD, start teaching for college somewhere. That's my track. But since meeting you in this last year, I have really started to think, okay, well, maybe I can take my degree that I have now because I don't have my PhD yet. Maybe I can take the master's degree that I worked very hard for that shouldn't be devalued and do similar work with literature, but do women's work in that area. And I just hadn't even really considered that until meeting you and being opened to different possibilities, different ways in which you can take your talents and use them. I mean, absolutely. And I was stuck in that rut as well. For me, I mean, I was on my way to medical school. That's what I would have been 14 years in higher education to get all the prereqs done to get into medical school. And in 2012, I walked away from it all. And I went to Thailand to become a yoga teacher. <laughs> and I thought, you know, there are so many men, for example, I do think it is a gender thing. You know, there are so many men who don't have to follow this traditional path and they become successful. Yes, there is the token women, woman. There's the token woman. But in our society, women need to have more credentials to be offered the same jobs to be valued in a similar way. And I was caught up in that. I thought I have to be a doctor in order to be someone in this world. You know? <laughs> yeah. And then I walked away from it all, and I became a yoga teacher. Um, and that's a whole nother story. But I came back to academia, and now I'm studying consciousness and transformative studies um, at John F. Kennedy University. So that's always, that's still a big part of who I am. But it's not the defining part anymore. You know? You mean the PhD is not the defining part of who you are? Exactly. Yes. 
Well, and for me, I had two kids, <laughs> you know, and getting to school became uh, something that I had to put on the back burner. And I still have it on the back burner because my kids, even though they've gotten a little bit older, they still require a lot of my attention. And so I just um, haven't been able to put myself full force into any one thing that would take up all of my time because you know, I really like to be a mother. <laughs> I really actually think motherhood is incredibly important and valuable and I want to give it as much time as I can possibly give. So I have found myself having to find other ways to use my education and my credentials without sacrificing my family. Yeah. Yeah. And I love this experience I've had down in the South. Because I've met so many women who have taken this path of motherhood, you know, more so than where I come from in the Bay Area, where most all of my community of women are single, unmarried, without children, working on their PhDs. PhDs. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, right? Yeah. And it's a diff. It's it's two different tracks, but they're both so valuable. And this is what I've learned since I've been in the South. These women that have decided, chosen motherhood, they're doing it for us. And we, who have decided to have a different path and to explore beyond, you know, the home and the family, we're doing this for them. (laughs) We both need each other. We're supporting each other. And it's just, it's a beautiful um, marriage of the two paths. And I, I've really felt that strongly since I've been here. It's like, I have this to offer to you. You have this to offer to me. And how can we strengthen, as women, what we have to offer to the world? Right. That's a nice way of looking at it. Yeah. And not being jealous every time you hear a PhD woman get up and speak. Like, that's how I feel a lot of times. Oh, great. She has her PhD. Why haven't I got my PhD yet? And this is oh, it. Yeah, like, wait a minute. Yeah. My, my, my work, I am doing work, but it's just not valued. Yes. The same. Yes. It's hard, you know, and so I want to get back to this Fem South. Mm-hmm. Why are we doing this in the South? What is particularly important about doing this work in this area? I think that some of the things that you said speak to that. I mean, women are doing this work on the West Coast. They're doing, you know, this work in larger cities, but on the ground here in places like where we're living, I don't see it. I don't see evidence of that at all. And so part of my reason for doing this is trying to get us in the conversation, getting us speaking our voices and representing ourselves in this whole conversation about feminism and getting everybody in this area caught up to speed. Because one thing I know for sure is living in the South is it takes at least a year for anything to funnel down to us, first of all, we just are kind of always a little bit behind, culturally speaking, than the rest of, well, definitely the West Coast, for sure. Well, some people are throwing out 10 or 20 years. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I mean, I didn't say that, but I've heard it many times. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've heard that as well. But they do eventually funnel down. But so, in the South, though, I think that this kind of work is incredibly important because, for one, women aren't, a lot of women aren't exposed to it. And so they just don't know. But also, maybe women are 
afraid to speak out and to speak up about women's issues. They, they see the word feminism and they immediately think that there's some, you know, that that's a word that has all kinds of connotations that are, you know, anti-man, anti-church. Um, because, you know, we live in an area that's predominantly Christian and we live in a community where churches are on every street corner. And when you meet somebody new, they like to tell you what church they go to and invite you to their church. So church is definitely a part of this community. And so, you know, maybe women feel that feminism is somehow threatening Christianity, somehow you know, positioned against Christianity, which is actually something that I want to do a whole nother podcast about. I think that a lot of the women have been indoctrinated into a particular mindset. And yeah, they just need to be exposed. And it was interesting when we first started the book club, one of the first books that we read that we all voted to read was um, Bell Hooks, Feminism is for Everyone, because we really wanted a good uh, foundational understanding of what feminism even means. And I think one of the things that we started to discover is that everybody in the book club, even those that were, you know, coming to the book club because they were on board with feminism, still had very different perspectives on what the word even really means. And Bell Hook's book was a really great foundational book because she really kind of lays it out there. And I wanted to maybe read something from her book real quick. The first thing that she says, even in her introduction, just to define feminism, is that feminism is a movement to end sexism, sex ex exploitation, and oppression. But then she goes on to talk about this, this very issue that there's been all kinds of negative uh, responses to feminism. And so she says, masses of people think that feminism is always and only about women seeking to be equal to men. And a huge majority of these folks think feminism is anti-male. Their misunderstanding of feminist politics reflects the reality that most folks learn about feminism from patriarchal mass media. And a lot of my students, I think any of my female students that seem to be kind of on board with feminism are really getting their information, not from theory, not from books, not from academia, but from pop culture. Mm -hmm. So... Yeah, and it's it's interesting because it it doesn't even cross my mind coming from the Bay Area <laughs> that feminism isn't understood and accepted as valuable. You know, and then you walk out of that bubble and you hear things like, "Oh no, I'm not a feminist." From women. "Oh no, uh-uh." And I'm thinking what woman in the right mind wouldn't be a feminist? <laughs> you know, it just makes sense that we want equality between the genders. You know, and at a fundamental level, that's what it is. It's to end sexism, right? Equality, balance, period. I mean, it's very simple in a sense. Um, but then, of course, there's so much tagged onto that from history and culture. It seems like it would be simple. It seems like uh, it wouldn't be um, something that would be threatening to other beliefs or ideologies. But in this area, this area in Alabama, that's a red state turning blue, hopefully we'll know in November, but that it's uh, associated with a left leaning political point of view, first of all. And so they're afraid of it just from the get go. 
and they don't understand it. They haven't been exposed to it. And so it just seems like a threat. And then also, even Bell Hooks talks about this in, in her book, the Christian, predominantly Christian paradigm. It threatens and challenges a lot of those ideas and ideologies that women have held onto in the South. So I think for those reasons, it's just, it hasn't caught on like it has in the West. But I think we're moving in that direction. But, and so what we, you know, I think one of the fun things that we're going to do is we're going to go out, you know, and ask people, you know, what do you think about feminism? What does that word mean to you? Do you consider yourself a feminist? Why or why not? You know, I asked this question to a friend of mine who's running for office when I did an interview with her. I'm not going to run the interview on the, um, on the podcast, but when I asked her that question, she really hesitated to answer that because she said it really depends on what you mean by feminism. She said, I believe in equality for men and women, but, so there was this but, so what does it even really mean? And we've really kind of grappled with that in our first meeting in our book club. What does it even really mean? And I, I just can't help but keep coming back to what you said. You know, it really isn't that complicated. Of course, it's had a lot of um, backlash. The various waves of feminism, of course, is met with resistance and backlash, which is why. And Bell Hooks talks, talks about all of those things in her book, Feminism is for Everybody. But still coming back to this idea, hey, it's for everyone. It's for males, females, very, you know, all races, all you know, sexual um, identities. Feminism is important because under the umbrella of that is an end of sexism, but also oppression and even a concern for the environment. You know, it's just basically seeing the world, like you said, a nice balance between the feminine and the masculine. Yeah, it's I mean, it's really it's healing the feminine after thousands of years of patriarchy. So. In order to heal the world, we need to bring the feminine back into balance, honoring the feminine, right? In all of us, we all have a feminine in us. <laughs> and it's this that I don't think many people understand. They see I'm, I'm a male gender. She's a female gender. But we're really talking about energies, feminine energy and what does that mean and that takes it to a whole nother level that I'm not sure a lot of people understand they don't see the world in that way but feminism is for everyone men and women because we are that we have the feminine in us right we are, are of the earth we come from a mother Right? It's so important, it's almost a non-issue. So just an example of the difference between feminism in the South and in the West, and I'm primarily talking about the bubble of the Bay Area, which is very unique. Um, at the Women's March last year, I saw on more than one occasion a man wearing a shirt that said, this is the face of a feminist. This is the face of a feminist on a man. It was so beautiful to see that. That is really beautiful. I, uh, we didn't even have a women's march in our area. We did in Mobile. One of the colleges put on a women's march. But otherwise, when the women's march was happening, there was no evidence of it on the streets in this area at all. 
which was really sad. I sat on my couch and watched it on television because I couldn't be at any of the protests and just cried, cried in happiness and joy, but also at the lack of response in my area. So, I mean, how do we get our men on board with feminism? Yeah. Especially here in the South. I think it's one thing to ask women to join in solidarity, but it's another thing to get men on board. I think it's so important to put this in historical context. And I say this because oftentimes men feel like women are blaming them for the situation we're in. And I feel it's a larger problem (laughs) than the relationships we're in right now. This oppression has a long history, and it's been passed down from generation to generation. It wasn't just women that were oppressed. It was women and children that were oppressed, abused, violated, manipulated, controlled, disrespected. And those children grew up to be adults. And what did they do? They passed on the sins of their fathers. Because who was in charge? Who had positions of power in our patriarchal society? Primarily men. Right? It's nobody's fault. This is our history. This is where we've come from. So to have a healthy look and healthy understanding of our history and put it into perspective, nobody's to blame, but people have suffered, men and women, and it needs to end. And this is feminism, saying we're bringing the feminine back onto the stage so that men and women can heal. So it's in our partner's best interest to be on board with this movement because we all benefit. Yeah, I agree. That was well said, Amaya. When people stop looking at it as feminist, as women who hate men or out to get men in some way or another, um, and look at it as just what, this is our history, you know? This is, we can understand so many of our breakdowns in communication, so many of our breakdowns in expectations, So much of our relationships with, you know, our partners, our romantic partners, our parents, our grandparents, through the lens of an accurate history, you know, what we don't have is a full representation of, you know, one half of the population giving us an accurate history. (laughs) So it just makes sense. And I'm always floored when people don't really understand or get that. And so that's a part of the work. That's what we're doing here. And I'm very excited. And I hope that, you know, it's well received because I have to be honest. I don't easily go out in my community and tell everybody what I'm doing because I don't know how how it will be received. Yeah. And this has been interesting for this, you know, Californian to be in the South now full-time, and to witness that, witness women being silenced and women being afraid of speaking their voice and their truth. And I've even felt that. I've felt pressures since I've been here to, you know, keep a lid on it. Yeah. I mean, you can really speak to that 
because you're coming in from another place where that isn't the case and you see it more clearly than we do living here. I mean, I saw it clearly when I moved here. I mean, I lived away. I moved away as as fast as I could when I was younger. I went to college in Oklahoma and then I joined the military and then I traveled all over the United States and even some in Europe. But when I, and I had to come back to the, I had to come back to the South. And when I came back to the South, I came back with fear in my heart because I wasn't sure that I could really be myself when I came back here. I had learned so much. I had been validated for all the things that were so, uh, you know, counterculture when I was younger here. So many things that were just out of the ordinary weren't out of the ordinary everywhere else. So when I came back here, I had fear. I was sad. I was depressed. What am I going to do here? You know, and I know that you've experienced that. We've had other friends that have come from other places like Hawaii and California that come here and they all go through this deep depression. And a part of that deep depression is what you just said, not being able, seeing clearly through, you know, subtle responses that it's not okay to be who you are and, and then also to put a lid on your ideas and your voice. You know, so that's something that I have to really work towards. It's still hard for me, even now, even on this platform, to not feel that fear every day. Like, how am I going to be received? Am I going to have, if, you know, what's going to happen when this podcast makes it out in the world and is public? Am I going to get fired from my job? You know, like I have those legitimate <laughs> fears in this area. Yeah. But and you I- don't have that. <laughs> you know, everybody in the West Coast like is like, what? You're not on board with feminism? Wh- where have you been? <laughs> you know? Not everyone. Let's not make a blanket statement. But okay. it is true that the majority of people <laughs> yeah. do think that way in the West. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. And I was shocked when Lee made a comment about her fears about putting this out to the world and her her job and I thought what are you what are you talking about <laughs> we're fine we're fine this is common this is a common topic we can talk about this and at the same time I do realize I've felt the pressure not to express myself fully and my opinions fully and especially when you're talking with somebody who has very conservative views which I haven't experienced very much in my travels and on the West Coast until coming to the South and having to sit and discuss some of this stuff with people who are so different in the way that they think. And for fundamental issues like women's rights, I'm a woman. I deserve to have the same rights as a man. I mean, that's a no-brainer. Well, that's not a hard sell, though. It's not really the equal rights that's the oh. hard sell. It's the everything else that falls in line with it. And, you know, I hear a lot of times people say, well, you already have equal rights. Even my own kids say this to me sometimes. They're like, Mommy, why are you doing this? Don't women already have equal rights? Can't you guys already uh, have any job that a man, you know, has? And I have to explain to him. I have to really break it down. It isn't. And this is what, you know, Bell Hooks comes back to. It isn't just equal rights in the workplace or equal rights in the home, which we're still working towards. It's all of the other things. It's all of the subtle inequalities. It's all the lost history. It's all the lack of support. 
It's all this sort of making fun of the woman for having any complaint. You know, the little jabs that men will take when women try to speak their minds and and say, wait a minute, you know, whatever's happening here isn't right. Um, And I'm speaking very broadly, you know, when I say that, because it really covers so many different aspects of our daily lives. Mm. So it isn't just equality in the workplace. I think most people can get behind that. Even, you know, men out in some rural area in Alabama can get behind. Well, it depends, but I think most of them can get behind equality in the workplace. They can get behind it unless it threatens their position. I'm not seeing very many men saying, yeah, my coworker, Nancy, she's not getting paid as much as me. Do you mind looking at that? You know, she's getting 40K, I'm getting 60K. We have the same education, we do the same job. That's just not fair. Okay, that is not the story. (laughs) It's not the story. It's women saying, wow, how is it? That with my education, my experience and skill, I'm getting this and he's getting that. So equal rights in the workplace. These are the stories of the women in the South. I hear this a lot. So I don't know. Equal rights. You think that that has already happened, but it hasn't. The conversation is still going. Right. I do think the conversation is going. I think the point I was trying to make was that it's that's an easy selling point for men. I think all the other stuff is when men really begin to be challenged. You know, you're right. A man may may not step up and say, "Oh, my my coworker isn't getting paid." But if they're in the conversation, they'll probably say, "Oh, yeah, women should have equal pay." But when you start to say other things that are challenging, when you even use the word patriarchy in front of them, you know, all of a sudden a wall has gone up. You know, so I'm saying that in the South, it isn't, um, it, it's, there's so much more around the word feminism than just equality mm-hmm. in the workforce that is threatening to men. And on some level, a lot of the men don't even know what they're really threatened by. They just hear the word and they have a certain association and they're threatened no matter what. Or they don't know what it means, but they want to be hip. And they say, oh, yeah, I'm on board with feminism. And then you start to ask them questions and they're like, I don't know what, you know, they don't know because they're just not seeking the information. They might be on board with, but they're not seeking the information. And so, you know, it's funny because when we started to have the book club, we had many discussions about whether or not we were going to have our, um, our spouses or our partners or our boyfriends or whoever inviting men to our book club discussions. And we, you know, we went around and around this. We had some women that really wanted to because their partners were feeling very left out and they wanted to be a part of the discussion. And then we had a lot of other women that were saying, you know, this has really become a safe space for me where I can talk openly and freely without being judged. And so we ended up really honoring a safe space, uh, the book club as a safe space for women to learn about feminism. But we had to really exclude the men in order to keep that space safe and sacred, which I found really interesting because how are we going to get the word out to our men if they can't be a part of the conversation? But another person reminded me, well, as soon as we get ourselves healed and we get the language, then we can bring that to into our relationships. And the relationships that support us. And this is the biggest thing. So we're perpetuating the problem 
if we continue to support men who don't respect us. So women need to be strong and know they have the support from other women to then choose other relationships and nurture and support those. Because I've been reminded over the past six months as I've been going through my own journey that there are many men out there that are self-described feminists. Why don't we bring those men into our life a bit more? Why do we choose men who need to be convinced otherwise? What if instead we supported those that were already on the path, strengthened that relationship, strengthened those numbers, made people feel like they weren't alone, and then the shift starts to occur? You know, it's like so many relationships I've been in, I've tried to convince my partners of my views. I've tried to fix them, heal them, teach them, you know, open up their minds. And at the end of the day, this was unempowering for me. Why was I trying to convince this person who didn't see my value from the get-go, wasn't listening to me, wasn't respecting me? At the end of the day, I wasn't respecting myself. I wasn't saying that what I have to say is valuable enough that I am going to share it with people that want to listen. No, I was just continually trying to speak at these people that didn't want to hear me. So we're, we're perpetuating the problem if we continue to support men and women that don't believe in us. Right. I think that's a great point. And I do believe that Again, going back to what we're doing with our book club and with this podcast is that we're building these support systems for women so that they can see themselves more clearly, be supported, be validated, understand where a lot of this stuff is really originating. A lot of the um, relationship dynamics is originating. The habit patterns are originating and begin to really work through them. And then, yeah, invite. I mean, when you get healthier. You just invite and seek out people who are healthy. And a part of being healthy is feminism. And feminism has been left out of so many health trends. But a part of being for a woman, being healthy, is understanding her lineage, understanding that she has support and that she is validated and that her experiences matter and that she can be heard and loved and supported and not judged. Yeah. And it's typically not happening with many of the men in our lives because of the paradigm that we are still in, that we've come from, that we're trying to move out of. But it does come from women. And I didn't realize this until I started doing women's work about four years ago, that I was so starved for women in my life, sisterhood, support. I didn't know what I was missing out on. I had more male friends than I did women because it seemed easier because there was always an ulterior motive for the men to be friends with me, right? It wasn't just about being friends with me. There was something else there. And I thought that that was validation and respect, but it, it was different. And I didn't know what I was missing out on until I started doing women's work. Now I have more female friends than I have male friends. I probably have maybe two really good male friends. 
hundreds of female friends, it feels like now. It's amazing. And the work that we can do together as women to support each other and really shift this structure yeah, is beyond anything you can imagine, actually, until you've experienced the women's work. Because right. we've been so disconnected and fragmented on purpose, on purpose. Right. And I can speak to that, too, because before I started doing this book club, I didn't have very many female friends either. I didn't definitely didn't have a community of female friends. And after having the book club, I mean, I just felt like I had a new life. I had started something completely new and different. And I feel like I am supported. You know, I mean, for someone who really is introverted and, and doesn't seek out a lot of friendships anyway, um, it was really empowering for me because like you said, it's easy to have male friends who are looking for something else. And that was kind of what I was used to too. I had, my power was in, it was in my sexuality. And so I could get more male friends and have more male companions and, and that kind of thing. It was much more challenging to have female friends. Now, when I had kids, you know, we had mother support groups and things like that. I had female friends, but we were never doing women's work. We were never speaking about it consciously. We were just getting together because we had kids. So it's a whole nother experience to actually speak about it consciously and to say to another woman, I'm here to support you. Like this whole group is a support system network. Those words need to be said out loud to one another. They can't be understood because probably they aren't being understood. So even if you are in a, you know, in a mommy play group and you're hanging out with other women and you feel supported, you know, are you saying that to each other? Are you saying, I'm, I'm here for you. I'm supporting you. If you're not saying that, you should be saying that because that's maybe what you're doing. But when you do it consciously, it really makes a difference. Saying it and then doing it. Yeah, and then doing it. <laughs> uh, there's an interesting dynamic in the South where people are very polite and they'll say certain things and then... Well, the South <laughs> not is, always uh, do struggles with being, <laughs> with being polite and, uh, and speaking... Well, like, because we just said that, you know, uh, women, have a, women have a really difficult time being assertive and speaking their truth because in our culture, we've been told generation after generation not to speak your truth, not to speak up and speak out. I mean, I can go on and on about, you know, growing up in the South and under religious communities that really believe that the male had all the say in the family and that they were the final decision makers. That dynamic was just uh, my mother's generation. Even my mother probably would not call herself a feminist, but I think that she was trying to be a feminist without knowing what she was trying to do but she didn't have the language for it. But so many of my other friends' parents lived in that paradigm where the final say over everything was the responsibility and the role of the, the father in the family. And kids had to follow the rule of the father and the mother had to give up her authority ultimately to the man, even if she was giving him advice, ultimately he made the final decision. Like that paradigm isn't that long ago. And a lot of people are still hanging on to that under the umbrella of the Christian family. So 
Well, my that goes into why women here. Yeah. You, I know you've struggled with women not really understanding your you speaking your truth and speaking bluntly, you know, because we're just not used to it. It's interesting to see that cultural shift. Even I see that with some other women in our group that aren't from this area struggling with the same thing. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, we should wrap this up. Yes, because we can talk forever about We this. can. <laughs> this is just our first podcast. <laughs> we're looking forward to going deep into a lot of these concepts and bringing in these books, reflections from the book club, and the discussion between the two of us and the community here in the South and at large, and really opening up to a, a very important conversation about what it's like to be a woman in this world. What is feminism? And how, how do we start to bring into balance the masculine and the feminine to heal ourselves and heal the planet? Yeah, great. Well, thank you for joining us. And I hope that you will continue to listen to us as we move forward with this podcast. We'll see where it goes. Talk to you soon. Bye.